0: Hi, I'm Dave Merlino. I'm Dustin Sweet, and this is the Know Their Story podcast. We talk to veterans about their time in service, returning home from war, and transitioning out of the military. Hopefully along the way, we'll inspire you to do the same with a veteran in your life.
1: Because sometimes all it takes to make the world a better place is sitting down with a friend to know their story. Okay welcome back everyone to another episode of the know their story podcast thank you for joining us again had a little bit of a break as i um <laughs> pardon me that was not planned uh a little bout with uh with coronavirus uh so i will probably not talk as much because it leads to coughing this week but i say i won't talk as much every week and we know it's how a that miracle <laughs> so but uh, dustin Thank you for joining us again. Thanks from, for
0: having me one more time. Let's do this, yeah. let's have this party.
1: So today's guest, We uh, I was joking right before we hit record that we've had a, a couple, uh, we, we've been hitting the Navy a lot lately. We're going back to our roots of the army. Uh, today's guest was an artillery surveyor in Vietnam, 1969 to 1970 with the US Army, as I just mentioned. Um, and also the author of the book, Potato People, about tales from the trenches of his time in the army. Uh, Please welcome Jack Schmidt. Thank you for joining us today, Jack.
2: Thank you, Dave. Nice to be
0: with you. Uh, So, um, (laughs) Jack, where are you joining us from?
2: I'm uh, in the Western suburbs of Chicago.
0: Oh, nice, nice. How's the weather in Chicago? Very,
2: Very nice, pleasant day. It was rainy yesterday, but it's not today. Nice and sunny, sunny at the moment. Probably uh, mid seventies.
0: Uh, baseball weather. Yes. Stuff.
1: Yeah. Well, I have to ask if you, if you were to go to a baseball game, would it be to the Cubs or the White Sox?
2: If I were to go, it would be Cubs.
1: Okay. There we go. My aunt is a, a diehard, diehard Cubs fan. I've actually been to a couple games at Wrigley with her. Yeah so it was a, a fun time they they didn't win and in fact it was they're <laughs> in the height of Sammy Sosa and uh, they were playing the Cardinals and like they kept hitting home runs to to go ahead and then they'd give up a home run to tie it we'd go into extra innings and my aunt was just like oh and I looked at my wife and I said welcome to the life of a Cubs fan right that's there right. that's right <laughs> so I'm actually going to put myself on mute a little bit here, Dustin. I'll let you go. That way, when I cough, it won't uh.
0: Sure, out. that's 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 good. Dave. Good thinking, Dave. Jack, um, let's let's get it started. I guess. Uh, what what caused you to be in uh, in the recruiting office? How did you well, get into the army?
2: Okay, I was attending uh, junior college, finishing up my second year. I knew that uh, as the oldest of six uh, kids, I couldn't. Uh, expect my parents to send me off to uh, state college. So I uh, ventured down to the enlistment office and said I wanted to get into something related to engineering, civil engineering specifically. So after a few meetings, uh, I signed the papers and was able to finish my second year of uh, college and then uh, went into the service in June of 70. Did my basic at uh, Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri. I put in for construction survey school, uh, but found out that that school was closed. So they sent me to artillery survey school, which turned out to be much better because I learned how to operate all of the instruments, all of the surveying instruments and uh, relate to the computer coordinates of of, uh, bringing in artillery fire and adjusting fire and reading maps and reading the stars. Uh, So I learned one heck of a lot. Then they sent me to Germany and what we did was uh, help uh, various divisions. We helped the uh, Big Red One get ready. I uh, believe that was, might have been the, one of the first ones, but we helped the 24th Division get ready, but they were never sent. But we would zero in artillery, zero in uh, Honest John rockets, uh, just go to the range quite often in a place called Grafenbeer and uh, really get uh, very comfortable reading a map, reading coordinates, adjusting fire, Uh, bringing either a single uh, tube or six tubes in on target and adjusting each one so they could hit what they were supposed to hit. I got kind of tired of shining shoes and polishing belt buckles. So I listened to some of the vets and really believed that uh, Nam was the place to be. So I put in for it, uh, put in several times. They wouldn't let me go. I might have been a good surveyor, but they finally actually promoted me to E5 and then let me go. Um, so that's how I wound up over there. I arrived in May of 69 and at the replacement center, uh, there was a well, a very short uh, uh, attempt at uh, breaching a perimeter and I picked up a little bit of shrapnel on the back, but nothing of consequence, I went to the um, aid station following morning and I encountered a a sergeant who said, who wants to go up and have fun with the 101st? I said, wow, the 101st, boy, my dad would really be, I think, would be proud of me if uh, he knew I was with the 101st. He had had not been, but he was with uh, Patton in World War II. So I said, oh, oh, yeah, I'll go, I'll go. I said, well, will they look at my back when I get, yeah, yeah, they'll look at your back, so fine. I uh, went along and wound up being a replacement at uh, Nine thirty-seven, of all places, you know, Hamburger Hill. Wow! Uh, Got there just at the tail end. Um, They—that's where they pinned the the sergeant that uh, corralled me into the 101st. uh, Was the one that pinned the uh, insignia, the uh, stripes on my uh, collar, and said, "You know, you're an E5." I I didn't know anything about a fire team or directing fire or whatever. So um, I made it in, made it out. And after things got all straightened out, I wound up with the uh, headquarters battery of the 101st uh, Field Artillery, 2nd uh, of the 320th. And I helped them set up fire bases all over I-Corps and on the border of Laos. And uh, did my, did my uh, almost year there got, uh, actually got, uh, um, what, what do they call it? Uh, shorted out uh, in uh, April. Okay. Right. And uh, I was actually at Firebase Ripcord when I found out I was supposed to be getting ready to go home. So <laughs> I made it out. And uh, you, wanted, you mentioned before you want to know about the welcome home. That, that was a shock. Arriving at O'Hare, um, there was a crowd. I was actually on a crutch because I had uh, goofed up my leg uh, at, at Ripcord and was waiting to have that looked at. But they, they sent me home. Um, a police officer grabbed me by the scruff of the neck, lost the crutch, shoved me in a baggage closet there at, uh, in the, uh, the baggage claim area at uh, O'Hare. And then uh, I, I was in there with several other uh, returnees, and I was allowed to get out, call my dad to come and get me, and that was a big surprise to him. But uh, he helped me get out, and, and that was it. You know, Uh, were they
0: having having like a, like a demonstration at O'Hare?
2: Yes. Yeah. And I I was surprised because we hadn't heard anything about that from uh, any of the guys who had uh, come in, uh, who had had visited home, Uh, no one, no one talked about, we didn't, the Stars and Stripes, uh, to my recollection, never really talked about protests at home. We didn't know anything about it. Uh, Guys who came in, weren't saying anything about there being anything against The war. Uh, I was there, of course, when there were uh, serious objections on the part of the uh, troops there. Uh, They were starting to get uh, very upset about being sent out on operations over and over and over again. Uh, The unit that I had arrived with, uh, uh, they had lost so many guys on uh, all these operations prior to Hamburger Hill. Uh, That was probably the the straw that broke the the Campbell's back, as they say, because. There were outright, uh, um, not mutinies, but just very, very angry um, meetings on the part of a lot of the infantrymen and even into the, to the uh, artillery uh, troops that just didn't want to go back out anymore. They were just losing a heck of a lot of people. So we, we just did what we had to do, keep on going.
1: So I have. A, a couple of questions came up when you're talking about how you got into artillery so you you, you want to join construction and they said well that's full but you know we can't really build anything till we blow it up so you want to go to artillery or like what was that cell for how those were close together uh, no i wanted to be in something
2: related to civil engineering i, I was very interested in being becoming a civil engineer and uh, i believe it was the recruiting Uh, Sergeant who told me, yeah, we'd go into construction surveying." As it turned out, I found out that construction surveyors didn't really learn how to use the instruments unless they were officers. So I was fortunate to become an artillery surveyor, again, learning how to use all of the instruments that uh, uh, civilian surveyors do. Uh, Actually, when I came out, uh, I was able to do some construction surveying here in the States uh, as uh, as an engineering intern uh, once I got back into college.
1: Nice. And in my mind, and I just want to clarify this, it kind of seems like you were living the dream a little there for, uh, what were you, about 19, 20 years old in uh, your see. job?
2: I was I was just short of 20 when I when I went in. So um, I wouldn't say living the dream. I, I was well, always interested in uh, being yeah. a part of the military. But
1: just in terms of In my mind, just as a quick, you know, when you said your your job was zeroing in the artillery before it was shipped off, like you would just go out to the range and be like, all right, fire away, move it a little to the right. We would
2: would be told that uh, it would be a shot out uh, and uh, we were zeroed in with our instruments on what the target was. Sometimes they hit the target first time, sometimes they didn't. Uh, you even practice at night, and uh, you'd see a flash way the heck off outside the scope where you were looking at. So the first thing they did was blame us for looking in the wrong place. But you know, naturally, uh, the artillerymen don't want to hear that they missed. But uh, such was the, the case even over in Nam. Uh, yeah. They didn't always hit the first time, but they they certainly were able to be adjusted and hit when they what they were supposed to hit.
1: Yep, gotta walk it walk it in a little. Mm -hmm. So, but 19 years old getting paid to basically hang out and watch stuff blow up that's that's a pretty good job for a 19 year old
2: (laughs) right it was um yeah it it was it was interesting uh we spent even in germany uh spent a lot of long days long nights a lot of time in the field Uh, i was sent back on operation reforger to germany spent a whole month in the field uh, just chasing the artillery batteries uh, setting up getting ready to zero in uh, their artillery fire and then uh, moved to another position uh, spent a whole month in the snow <laughs> never changed uniform once in a while you took your, your mickey mouse boots off but uh, that can't maybe prepared me for the way it was over in Nam uh, you, know, you, you didn't have a change of clothes so I would come back from the field kind of ripped up and and uh, scraggly looking and uh, may or may not have gotten another fresh set of clothes. Sometimes on a fire base, you kind of lined up, everybody stripped off, Um, you got some clothes handed to you, wasn't your uniform, was a clean pair of clothes and that was it. But um, I remember arriving there being told, uh, you uh, brush your teeth with this toothpaste and you wanted to brush your teeth for a whole year. Okay, sounded good. Um,
1: do you uh, do you have the name of that toothpaste? Or...
2: <laughs> no, no, it didn't. It didn't work. <laughs> it didn't work. I, I I know that I brushed my teeth a couple times after that, but uh, you you just learn to live with what you what you basically needed. Um, but we we spent. I spent time having ringworm or picking leeches and uh, stuff like that. You, you just learn to be dirty. I don't know if that's called living the dream, but it was um, it was a different lifestyle.
1: I would I would focus more on the hanging out in Germany, blowing stuff up not <laughs> a kind of dream compared yeah, good, to Vietnam.
2: <laughs> good times. I, I I gained a bunch of weight there. I went up to one hundred and sixty five pounds, drinking great beer, eating pretzels, and having a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, yeah. Germany, Germany seems nice. Vietnam, eh, I'll take the yeah. dream part out of that. <laughs> so but you know you, you you talk about coming home and it you know, reminds me of one of the one of the gentlemen Dwayne Bloor who's been on the podcast and uh, in our in our film he talked about when he was landing he looked out and he saw this big crowd of people and he thought oh geez that's really nice they're here to welcome me home mm. they weren't <laughs> found out real quick that they were protesters and he said that that moment just kind of ripped his heart out a little bit he had that they, that no he hadn't heard anything about what was going on back home. And it sounds like you had a bit of the, the same, you know, you've come home, you're shoved in a closet. Um, I mean, what, you, you were just talking about your mind adapting to, to, to being in Vietnam. How does your mind adapt to something like that? Where, you know, you think you're, you're, you're coming home to one thing and, and it's obviously drastically different.
2: Well, I was, I was certainly proud of the uniform. I was proud of what uh, I had accomplished, um, had a few ribbons on my chest. Um, I, w- I knew my dad would be proud of, of the service that I uh, put in. I was surprised, uh, uh, went to, uh, to, well, no, I don't want to bad any organization, but uh, the, the, the neighbors uh, just weren't very welcoming. Uh, they weren't uh, especially enthused about my arrival um, I remember my my stepmother uh, getting on the phone with uh, one of her sisters and saying oh yeah Johnny's home yeah no him no he never did anything so and that was it <laughs> so um, my dad I had always hoped to have a, a way to talk to my dad or get him to talk about his experiences uh, in World War two but never get him to open up and I didn't really open up he didn't ask a lot of questions so I didn't have many people to talk to.
1: And and I think, you know, for me growing up, I won't, Dustin, you can say if it was different for you, for me growing up and, you know, being born in the 70s, and having teachers who were Vietnam vets, and you you, you think about that moment, like we we're just talking about at the airport. And obviously, in my mind is someone who wasn't there I can think about that day being just a gut check but it's more of the long-term approach to it of you know no one wanting to talk to you like how how do you settle into that do you just kind of bury it down or or did you go find people who had the same experiences or, or how how can you acclimate to a society that doesn't even want to talk about what you did
2: Well, I I guess, for me, I I must have buried it down. Uh, We um, I I pretty much broke up with everybody, all my friends uh, that I had uh, been friends with before I went into the service. Uh, I just couldn't talk to anyone. I I guess I really did bury it down. Uh, Met my wife uh, about a year after I came back, Um, we She put up with uh, my screaming nightmares uh, for quite a while and then helped me to find somebody that uh, uh, helped with uh, PTSD. I actually went to a PTSD uh, clinic at the VA. It had been closed and I wound up being the only person with a a daytime coat and tie job in this circle of uh, other vets who uh, just wanted to talk about uh, the things they did, or uh, what, however many uh, people they uh, encountered in the uh, negative fashion. Um, but the there there just weren't anybody to, to really talk to. I, I uh, went returned to college. I joined a fraternity. Nobody ever wanted to talk to me about it. Uh, they 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 actually never threw. There was a. a, a in-house uh, habit of throwing a person in the shower when it was their birthday. They never laid a hand on I me. Mean, uh, they I can't say can't say they were afraid of me. I, I wasn't a very imposing figure. There were there were some some very big boys there, and, and they were all younger than than me. But um, nope. Anyway, had had no one to really talk to. I did reach out to one person who was there with me at the same time. He wound up being uh, in a suburb very close by. I. Uh, knew that he had come back, and uh, I called up. I spoke to his mother, and his mom said, Harry doesn't want to talk to anybody. He's unfortunately passed away. I have never encountered anyone that I served over there with. I've tried and tried, but never. Um, I encountered, in Germany, I encountered a person I went to high school with, and he told me his brother was over there. And I actually encountered who I thought was his brother, but. Could have been his ghost anyway. Uh, um, we uh, we didn't didn't have anybody to, to really talk to. Anyway, it's all mine's all clear. I, I welcome home the brothers as I see them. I thank them for their service. I encounter people wearing a hat. I will wear a hat when I go to Costco and Jewel just to encounter other other vets and, and thank them for uh, their service and welcome them home.
1: Well, and that does lead me to a question. You know, we've been working on our project for five years now, maybe six. I like to, to round it. Um, and even in the time we've been working on it, we have seen a, a shift in, in how Vietnam veterans are viewed and, and maybe welcomed more. And and you see, um, more people wearing, uh, you know, hats, Vietnam veteran hats and, um, is that us just being more aware of it? Like, have you noticed a change and in, in, in maybe even more recently in how Vietnam veterans are welcomed? And is that heartening to you? Or, you know, some people we talk to think it's too little too late. Like, what what has that been like to watch it come around? Um, what I see most
2: is the eyes shift away. They'll see mm-hmm. Vietnam. You could just see their eyes look away. I rarely encounter uh, people who will, will say thanks for your service or, or they don't say welcome home, but um, boy, I can count on on one hand when we go on vacation or something that people, whether they're waitresses or people in stores or people that I encounter, uh, they they just won't say anything. but most often you'll see the eyes look away. I've had uh, oh, a while back some little kid in a in a shopping cart uh, at um uh, I uh, said, mommy, mommy, what's that? And I said, no, no, don't, 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 don't talk, don't talk, don't talk. Um, I should mention, I do, I did reestablish friendship with two of my high school buddies. Uh, one was my best friend. Uh, he was over there at the same time that I was, and then also this other guy was. Uh, one was down in Cameron Bay, the other was uh, maybe somewhere in in three core. Uh, neither of them experienced things that I did, but... Uh, We'll we'll get together. Uh, the, my best friend will get together with me. We're we'll, uh, we're going to see him again uh, in a couple of weeks. He and I'll wear the hat. Um, we'll, and he's very active uh, down in Florida with uh, veterans organizations. So it's much different down there. And he's noticed when he comes up here, people don't don't say don't mm-hmm. say much. Don't say a word. So it doesn't bother me. Just, I just I know that they might either be uncomfortable. Uh, most of them are, are young. I do encounter, as I said, vets and uh, welcome them home. Sometimes you encounter one and they look at you as if to say, what What do you mean? Uh, I actually had a guy uh, say, when I said, welcome home brother, and he looked at me as if I was speaking some foreign language. So maybe people don't uh, often greet us, but you know, it doesn't bother me. I don't wear the hat to uh, uh, to give anybody a, a hard time, I just wear to encounter hopefully other vets, and, and I quite often do.
1: And and part of that could be um, and any even we we feel it sometimes. And, and we've talked to so many different veterans, and we've had the talk sometimes of you know we like to say uh, thank you for your service should be the start of the conversation. And too many times it seems to be. The entire conversation, mm-hmm. like it's such a reflexive thing. Like, I, I, I don't want to point out. I love the show Shark Tank, and and I think it's really great when they do this. But whenever there's a veteran on, well, at least one shark has to be like, first, let me say thank you for your service, and then before the moment's even over, now tell me about your skews. And and it's like it's yeah. so. I mean, it's such a reflect I I think it's great that they do it. I do not want to badmouth them doing that, but it's just so reflexive. Like it's gone. Before it's even started, and it seems like it could be like, "Hey, thanks
0: for your service. Like, I'd love to hear what you did, um, or even like, how's how's it? Uh, how are you coping with being back in the world? Like, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> that to me is the is the more important part. Like, but
1: as a veteran, how do you feel when someone would say it? like maybe in the store, just thank you for your service, or um, a, a random encounter, shall we say?"
2: Well, I find it hard to know how to reply. I I kind of stumble on saying, well, thank you for the acknowledgement, or just thank you. <laughs> how do you, how do you really respond? So I'll just say you know, kind of thanks. And, I mean, I'll give them a, a sincere look in the eye and, and, and thank them. I've rarely, ever, gotten a follow-up question. Um, I do recall one gentleman saying, uh, one young man saying, uh, what 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 were you in? So I just told him Army, and he told me actually he was going in. Uh, in A short while after that, but yeah, it's uh, we don't. I, I haven't encountered uh, on Facebook a couple of vet comments on uh, one of the Vietnam pages that people do, that they don't know what to say back. Uh, you can mm-hmm. just just nod. Um, hey, we're 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 not going to be around for forever, and the people we encounter that know uh, who we are and. Uh, came from our same time they were either for or against us and maybe that's why they they keep their mouth shut uh, everybody else all the younger people don't really uh, know much about uh, what it was that we did or um, I've gone to school been invited by by my uh, grandkids to, to come to school and on veterans day and I will encounter other other vets and get the same kind of uh, uh, experiences that we're we're not uncomfortable, but it's just odd to be acknowledged by a bunch of little school kids who really don't know uh, what it's all about. Right. The teachers will be a little more ins- uh, uh, sincere and, and uh, uh, meaningful in their uh, their thanks, but you now, okay, we, we try to teach the kids what, what we do or what we did and uh, just to re- respect the, the service that we put in.
1: how old how old were the kids that you would go to talk to
2: (laughs) they range oh my goodness uh probably first second grade i've also done high school okay Um, uh oh boy you know after a while i forgot about i taught uh taught uh, some college classes for a while never ever 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 mentioned that i was a vietnam vet Uh, never came up there was no need for it um i don't know what difference it would have made um as I said all through college never never mentioned it never used it in any any fashion as a way to get good grades or be on the end but when I took survey courses I was top of the class so um, I did go into a, a couple of classes where I used my survey skills so I was able to show that I knew what I was doing.
1: Yep you, you had a bit more real life experience than many of the students. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so um but yeah for first first grade that's a that's a fun time to to talk I mean I used to work law enforcement so I I went in a couple times on the you know tell the kids what your parents do day I was like oh uh-huh. darn right I'm going to take advantage of letting the boys know what I used to do for the future when they want to date my daughters so it, it paid off they were scared of me um uh-huh. but yeah it's, it's a fun time to talk to first graders about police work and, and, and their understanding of it compared to talking to high schoolers. <laughs> I actually prefer talking to the first graders <laughs> these days. Um, but I, I guess looking at that in terms of the thank you for your service or wanting to say something, I guess it's just some way, some small way if people could... I don't want to say personalize it because obviously you're just seeing someone in a store, but to let them know that you actually do want, not, not just a reflexive thing that seems like the thing to say. And then it's awkward because do you mean it? And or are you saying this? Cause you think you had to like some way to let the veteran know, like, Hey, I actually do want to thank you. Like, it's cool. Mm-hmm. Thank you for what you did.
2: Yeah. It's... It used to bother me at first when I, when I saw the eyes look away that, but... Because uh, I, I didn't know if they were uncomfortable, if we were scary. Um, I had hoped that people wouldn't label us as as some of them did uh, way back then, as uh, a baby killers. <laughs> but but um, I've never 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 ever had that uh, uh, thrown at me um, here since I, I came back. Um, in the early days, if I wore. Uh, if I had my my poncho liner and went to the beach, uh, I'd, I'd hear some people go, "Hey, oh, you know, there's a vet. But that that was about it. I think there was a different feeling about us uh, back in '70. So uh, we probably weren't accepted or weren't uh, appreciated.
0: Do you think that changed how much you went out?
2: <sighs> it changed on what I carried. I didn't. I didn't want to be it, it angered me uh, at first because as I said I was I was proud of my service I was right. proud of the uniform uh, so I, I put the poncho liner away and uh, didn't haul it with me uh, if I was going to go out, out to the beach or go lay lay in the park or something um, so that 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 just that just bothered me I wore I wore a field jacket uh, when I was in college uh, upon my return but it wasn't a Vietnam type field jacket I kept my I had a couple of fatigues, uh, and I didn't wear those. I wore a uh, an Eisenhower jacket that I had picked up uh, back in Germany. Uh, so it was pretty ragged, but that's what I wore, and that was kind of acceptable because people were rea- wearing uh, the the uh, uh, stateside or or Germany type uh, non uh, camouflage fatigues. But uh, I I probably never wore my uh, Vietnam fatigue. Uh, for anything like yard work or anything like right. that, it's hanging hanging in the basement. Uh, but if I uh, worked around uh, uh, in the fall and just needed something light, I'll put on a Twenty Fourth Infantry from from Germany. Got one in the garage, and it's not that I don't want to be identified. It's just just never thought of uh, pulling it out and wearing it. It's it's there. Sure.
0: And yeah, yeah. No, you just change your behavior to 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 fit in, right? That's that's mm-hmm. how we operate. Um. Man, that's uh, that's interesting. Um, what uh, what did you end up doing once you once you got out of college? Where where life take you?
2: Um, I went to uh, Illinois Institute of Technology, got yeah. a bachelor's in bachelor's in civil engineering, and then I went to uh, uh, Midwest College of Engineering and picked up a master's in engineering management. I uh, was a civil engineer uh, then. I designed uh, road projects. Uh, uh, anything on the ground other than bridges, uh, anything drainage, uh, uh, lighting, traffic signals, uh, all that sort of work. Uh, I worked for the uh, Illinois Tollway for about nine and a half years, and uh, the rest of my experience was uh, with uh, a variety of consulting firms. Um, so I, I put my uh, skills to good use. Uh, I spent my entire career doing nothing but uh uh, using a red pencil. Uh, never had to use all of the highfalutin math that we learned in college. Uh, never, never, ever, ever used even algebra. I might have used geometry, but none of the Diffie Q or any kind of uh, equations that we, we learned. Any of the calculus. I knew it would have an application, but I never needed it. Uh, I made my career just with a red pencil.
0: Wow. What was your favorite kind of work? Traffic patterns uh, or...
2: My, my favorite kind of work was uh, multi-lane uh, expressways, multi-lane uh,
0: uh,
2: local streets, um, things that had uh, a turn lane. Uh, uh, I like to put together the construction sequencing. Um, but then my favorite thing to do is review plans. Uh, I became very uh, experienced at taking a set of plans and finding the inconsistencies that were Almost always there because uh, a set of plans is put together with a variety of different engineering disciplines. And uh, most of the time, I found that the individual disciplines didn't talk to each other. So the drainage guys would do their work properly and correctly, but they might put all their sewers on the right side of the road. And then here come the lighting guys. Where are they going to put it? On the right side of the road. So you have light poles right through the sewers. And I would spot that immediately. And I, I guess I made a lot of enemies because they didn't have the right way to go about telling them that, that, that something had to change. Right. And I, knew, I knew that they had expended the budget. So now they had to come back and either go in the hole to correct or to, yeah, yes, to correct their work and, and make it work uh, properly so that it wouldn't have change orders out in the field um, uh, or uh, the firm would, uh, would lose money. In. Um, I managed uh, a major project for the Illinois Tollway uh, in which some of the firms really lost money uh, making corrections on the plans. Uh, it, it wasn't a happy thing to do, but that's, that's what I did. Uh, and I think I can credit my uh, skills to what I learned in the service, just how to, how to quickly read a map and, and know which way you're supposed to be going and
1: right. uh, which way is up. Say so, all right, I'm gonna flip a coin. Heads, lighting; tail, sewer. Whoever comes up's moving to the other side of the street.
2: <laughs> well, no, um, there there's a right place and a wrong place, and you can uh, you can put the sewer uh, lights on the same side as the sewer, but you just don't put them in the same place, so many feet behind the the, the curb. Yeah, um, and uh, it it could be done, but uh, all too often you'd find the manholes. Every 200 feet, and where would the light poles be? Every 200 feet, right smack on top of the manhole. It was a, so the easiest thing for me to do as a skill that um, I, I would, uh, I actually taught classes in how to do that. Um, I would have a challenge uh, with uh, some of the people that I'd say, bring in a set of plans, go to that set of plans and find five or six or seven locations and mark those locations. And if you don't find a, a conflict, dinner's on me. I never lost that bet. They would be they would be surprised. So, how did you know that? It's it's always there. Contractors have change orders for a reason. It's because there are inconsistencies, anomalies in the plans.
1: It's better to find it in the planning stage than the implementation stage. <laughs> and I, I can
2: recall even going back to one or two types of incidents over in Nam where. Um, somebody uh, wasn't reading the map correctly and had the guns pointed completely the wrong way. Uh, fortunately, it occurred uh, at a fire base uh, along the coast, but yeah, they, were, they were doing fish in, fish in the open rather than uh, the uh, target out there on, on the mainland.
0: That's a uh, good segue back to uh, the one of the only questions I have for you about your Nam experience, which is, uh, what's what was the procedure of setting up a firebase? Did you go in first to observe and and, and set things up, or how, how'd that work? Yeah,
2: I would I would be with uh, one of the first couple of choppers that went in. I'd have to set up an instrument, and naturally, I wouldn't try to set it up standing up tall. You learn how to set it up low. Every firebase had a known point. Every firebase had an observable spot that you could uh, turn your instrument to so that you could turn between the known point and maybe that was a top of a hill, top of a mountain, a, a, a steeple somewhere far off, a, a bridge corner. So your your instrument was very powerful. powerful. It had a good telescope on it. So you's, you got your angle set and then you either read the map or you read the um, the azimuth, the, the direction to that known point. And then you could determine where was true north where was the actual map north from there you could you knew where the coordinates of the firebase were you measured off to try to find the center of that firebase and establish the known position of that firebase then the guns started coming in they were offloaded and the gun crews would set them up and you have to then use your instrument and look at each gun each of the six guns they each had an instrument on on the gun you would give them an azimuth to read to you. And then everyone could turn in the same direction because they knew the direction we were looking at. Cool. Uh, but, yeah, we, we were the first ones in and uh, it always surprised me that we weren't, uh, uh, other, other than the, the last one, Firebase Ripcord, that we, we were not the first ones that, uh, that were wiped out. They didn't care about us. They cared about wiping out the guns when the guns got all set up. That's yeah. when the fun started. So you would hopefully do your job. And there was sometimes I had to stay overnight. If I didn't catch the last chopper out, okay, fine. I had to stay overnight. And I helped pull guard duty and uh, hunker down in the bunkers if I had to. But uh, just hoped that you could get your job done and that everything worked right. Uh, There was, I mentioned the the anger or the disruption or the, not mutiny, but uh, just the 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 attitudes had changed uh, in in yeah. the '60s. Uh, even in the early '70s, uh, there were times when the gun batteries didn't listen to the, the captain, and uh, they weren't they didn't set their guns on the exact uh, azimuth that they were supposed to, and so they would quote miss the target unquote. Their hope was to get rid of the captain, uh, have him uh, replaced. Uh, they would naturally blame me and say, I you know, did a poor survey, but uh, I always proved that I I did it right. And uh, I don't know what happened to the gun crews, but uh, things like that would happen.
1: Wow. Do you ever look at today's GPS technology and think, man,
2: that would have made my job a lot easier? <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Uh, yeah, we, we didn't have things like satellites. I mean, back in, uh, in the early days of uh, our, artillery computers it was housed in a semi-trailer that's it was a, uh, the FADEC computer it was a huge thing and all it could do is uh, tell which way is north or measure distance it
1: and this probably that. has this phone probably has more computing power than that oh, semi yeah. <laughs> sure
2: definitely definitely yeah there were a couple of electronic instruments that they taught us in survey school about but they were too expensive to use in the field we never 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 used them.
1: And we were actually just talking to, um, last week, we were talking to one of the lieutenants that we've been following, and he was saying, even now in adulthood, he's just been surprised how mobile fire bases were. Sometimes they were just set up for a very short, I mean, they were up, they were down, they were moved, mm-hmm. like they were, they were, uh, they were a... Uh, on the move type of, you, know, you hear fire base and you think, oh, they dug it out and they built a base there. Like, no, right. sometimes it's just drop a gun on top of some hills for a couple of days type right. of thing. Well,
2: we were we were uh, adjacent to the border of Laos and we knew there were a lot of targets uh, in in Laos. Uh, in fact, there was a section of the Ho Chi Minh Trail that uh, you could get up in a helicopter or a, a bird dog and you could actually see the movement on the trail. And once in a while, they would set up an operation where they'd move some, uh, occupy some fire bases and then move in some 155s or or, uh, mobile artillery. And then they would post me and a few uh, rangers out uh, uh, into Laos, where we weren't supposed to be. And we would call in uh, fire uh, on specific grid sections that were already used before. So everybody knew if you were in grid bravo or B- red delta or whatever uh they knew what uh coordinates they had to hit so there would sure. be a bunch of bunch of slamming and damming uh to hit that portion portion of the uh trail that we would call in and you would see a whole bunch of stuff you know people and and uh carts and oxen and I can't remember if i ever saw any elephants but uh, anyway you would call in the fire and then just get the heck out of there
0: wow that sounds exciting and the exciting isn't always good kind of way you
2: know, well i i guess that that might have been a basis for for the screaming nightmares later on but uh you know I, I, i'm here got out
1: yeah and actually i want to segue um Well, first, let me ask you uh, all those, I know that uh, all my years as a firearms instructor in law enforcement have done a number on my hearing. Um, How is it for the the artillery observers?
2: Well, there was no such thing as earplugs. Um, I don't know if my, I I've got about a 30% hearing loss. I don't know if it was related to uh, artillery being uh, uh, on the guns all the time or the time I spent prior to going over there uh, we in Germany, we we fired off one heck of a lot of uh, rounds in uh, uh, M14s. They had a surplus they had to get rid of, and I enjoyed the M14. I really I was uh, got very good at it, um, but I I fired one heck of a lot of rounds, so the ringing in my ears is still there. Um, so uh, Uncle Sam rated me at thirty uh, percent or no hearing loss. I, forget with 10% or whatever, but oh, I have 30% hearing loss, 10% VA uh, compensation for that. So um, it, it makes it kind of hard to hear sometimes in the very early days, I was really, really bothered by it, but um, you just kind of, kind of live with
1: it. Yeah, I have 20% and, and uh, consistent with constant exposure to loud noises. Mm-hmm. So we all know where it came from but the government won't admit it but uh, right. the problem is i've lost a lot of the frequency of the female voice and i only mm. have daughters who mumble because they're teenagers so oh, I, should,
2: I should tell my wife that that's right i can't hear you because you're female okay
0: yep. yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah my daughters. Uh, as like, an observer from the outside it doesn't play out as well as you think no no
1: they're like you should have your hearing checked
0: <laughs> i did <laughs>
1: And so, yeah, my daughters, you know, they're 15, they'll like mumble looking away from me. And I'm like, yeah, you're going to have to try that one again.
2: (laughs) Well, I've been married 48 years, so we've learned to communicate.
1: Yeah, I I always laugh that when, um, before I had my hearing checked, that when I didn't hear my wife, it was because I needed to have my hearing checked. But when I didn't hear her... Uh, or when I didn't hear her it was I need my hearing checked, but when she didn't hear me it's because I need to speak up that's uh <laughs> so um but segwaying uh one thing I want to talk about and you know we mentioned that you have your book potato people yes. um one of our veterans that we've talked to Craig Jorgensen oh, here. there we go available on Amazon
2: um yeah um it's it was self-published uh, so they charge too much yeah you can get it on amazon uh, uh, i'd be i'd be happy to to help coordinate uh because okay. I've, um, I've got a i've got a garage full of copies that are, that are available um so yeah it's okay. out there yeah, we'll coordinate
1: and we'll put a link in the uh in the description for the the podcast for anyone who's listening look look below you know it will be done in the future but at the point you're listening to it's there um but the question I have is like one of our, our guys that we've talked to, Craig Jorgensen, has, has written a lot of books. And he, we've always remarked that he seems to be, I'm trying to find the right way to say this. I don't want to say farther along. He can talk more comfortably about his experiences than some of the other veterans we've talked to who only started talking when we, we started this project. And he does credit some of that to sitting down to write the books. And, and that was kind of his first, he didn't, he, it wasn't an intentional thing. Like I'm going to get this out for, for that aspect. He wanted to write the books, but he did notice a, a, a benefit to the writing the books. For, for you, how, how did it come about? You said, I'm, I'm going to write this book. And, and did you notice benefits from that for your own personal side of it?
2: Okay, the reason I wrote the book is it was kind of on a dare in the barracks in uh, either in Germany or Fort Riley. Um, b- some of the bizarre things that we did uh, in, in the uh, uh, stateside uh, and uh, Germany-based uh, service, uh, I would, no one would believe the, 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 the unfortunate waste of money that, that occurred. So I said, someday I'm gonna write a book. And uh, this guy named Fitz said, what are you going to call it? And I said it's going to call call it potato people. Why? Well, because we eat a lot of potatoes. <laughs> that's that's the way I phrased it. Um, early on, being invited to speak at high schools, uh, I couldn't talk about it without coming to tears. Uh, mm. it, it was really hard. Um, uh, going to the, the middle school where my wife was a uh, social worker here in the school district. So I was invited to to uh, teach it uh, or to make a presentation on uh, uh, Veterans Day or whatever to uh, middle schoolers, uh, sixth, seventh, and eighth grades. Even then, I if they, they would ask some really tough questions. And I was embarrassed to, to break down in tears hmm. uh, or couldn't speak without choking up. Um, it never occurred with little kids. You know, they, they, they don't ask that kind of question. So uh, writing the book? No, no I, I got it all out of actual letters that I had uh, written to uh, a girl that I broke up with when I came back. She gave me back the letters when we broke up and I compiled them with the letters that I had written to my dad who saved them and gave them to me. And So I had almost a, a day-to-day kind of, not really day-to-day, but. Uh, a lot of uh, recollections on just what I went through and and put it all down. So it's uh, 800 and something pages. (laughs) Surprised the heck out of me when I hit 322,000 words. But anyway, I did it. Um, I should edit it a couple more times because even at, oh, and the editing, my goodness, the the editors, the, the, the goofy questions that they would ask the things that they made me take out of the book because it made them uncomfortable i'm saying like okay um uh they said, oh you know you can't you know can't say that no we don't want the knees i could tell they were just very young young people doing doing their job but hey i thought okay fine actually it's the third book i've written i I wrote a a fairy tale book for my uh, granddaughter way way back when and uh and I wrote an engineering book, just kind of a what I call a brain dump on just how to do what I was doing. And so I would call this a brain dump. Just got got rid of, uh, of a lot of memories. Uh, not got rid of, put them put them down. And uh, the kids have all read it. Uh, my friends have read it, and uh, it's it's there. But I touch touch on many 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 things that we did, and just uh, the situations that I was in, and the things that that we did. Uh, not. Bragging, not uh, boasting, just hopefully not too boringly factual. But there it was.
0: <clears throat> well, it's
1: funny when you talk about the editors saying this makes us uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. I mean, we had uh, we had a, a screening at the Museum of Flight in Tukwila, at Boeing, um, on Veterans Day a couple of years ago, and in the question and answer period, a the woman and I don't I. I want to be really careful i say this because i'm not bashing her because it's a very legitimate thing it's it's conversations we'd had in production when when editing it um she asked there's a scene where we talk what a veteran gives a very very factual account of what it was like to go out on a downed helicopter scene very factual i'll Mm -hmm. put it that way Mm -hmm. it's it is raw and it's incredibly powerful but we did that's like and we have a recording of, of a helicopter getting shot down. And it very much ties in to what's being said. It's not just a random, let's throw this in. There's there's a very, but we had conversations of man, this is pretty raw. And, um, but we decided to go with it and, and she was berating us a little for why does it have to be so raw? And, and, uh, and, and did we have to do that? And my answer was, well, yes, cause this is their story. Like, I would be doing a disservice if I didn't like how can I tell how hard it was to come home if I shield the parts that made it hard like don't don't tell you like this is what you have to know and you know and and she did get on the I can't believe there's children in here and I was like well those are my daughters like (laughs) there's no way they weren't going to come to this film screening and and I left it out and I kind of wish I'd said it but I left it out I was like you know you look at my daughters they were 13 then you know, unfortunately, the two 13-year-old girls are the closest in age to what these guys were when they went through this than anyone else in this room. Sure. These guys were 19, 20 years old. Like, you know, <laughs> this, yeah, this a c- is a real thing.
2: Of, a couple of the uh, things that my uh, one friend that I get together with uh, from down in Florida talk about is the, the attitudes that we had. Uh, you would never let anybody know you were afraid. We would make fun of each other. Uh, you, would, sure. you would you would bolster each other's courage, if you will. Um, I I don't recall encountering many people who who were able to express fear. You just did what you did so that nobody would would make fun of you or or, or uh, uh, call you uh, any kind of names. And then in terms of the operations and things, you know, think of the term search and destroy. What does that mean to you? You know the editors didn't like what that meant uh not, and i won't do it for this recording but we can off off the record talk about some of the phrases that they didn't like to hear or some of the the things you know, you talk about visiting the down helicopter well yeah think about what what you have to do after a, a battle occurs um there's there's some things that make people uncomfortable and yeah they, they again may, may have been part of the, uh, the the nightmares that I I had there was there was psychedelic uh, trees were bleeding the ground was bleeding I, I remember those kind of things and I remember how how palpable the blue cloud was that I finally got rid of when I was able to, to get rid of that PTSD uh, it was a big help for my wife to, to do that but um, uh, you could almost re- I could almost reach out and touch it when, it when it was just gone. I, I, I was somewhat attracted back to it because it was so, it had been there for for years. Uh, I didn't get rid of it till a little after 1990. So, uh, it, it was there for a long time. And I remember even in the frat, uh, there was only one guy who would, who would, uh, room with me. Um, nobody else wanted to, because I would wake up screaming. So anyway, uh, There's, there's, there's things you can say to people and there's things you can't.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. And we, we decided to, to lean into the things you're not, you're not supposed to, because if we're going to have the conversation, I mean, in our view, if we're going to have the conversation, we're going to have the conversation, (laughs) you know, there's the one
2: one thing that makes us uh, some commonality between uh, us and uh, Afghan vets is they burn their
1: crap too yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah that will always be yeah uh, we, we won't say the the term for for that duty right.
2: yeah right. even even in E5 even even as an E5 I had to do it <laughs> so, yeah, so that's why I didn't that's that's one of the reasons I didn't mind going to the fire bases because back in the rear that's all they made you do is police call and stuff like that I mean, even KP for goodness sake. But no, I would I would volunteer to go out on anything uh, just to get away from that. And so it wasn't seeking uh, reward. It was getting away from the stuff that I had put up with for, for a year and a half prior to, to going over there.
1: Yep. Yeah. But uh, a little time uh, time on your own out in the jungle.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> it yeah. kind of translates into a lust for experience, you know, like a, a real a real willingness to live life on life's terms. Um yeah,
2: I, I guess you would call it that. Because uh, think, of, think of the food. You know, out, out in the boonies, we were eating sea rats. Uh, and OK, back in the rear, you, you had you know, powdered eggs, powdered bread. Uh, there wasn't great food, but at least once in a while, you, had, you might have had some bacon or something like that. But um, I, I lived on sea rats for a long time in uh, Germany, and, and uh, even on field operations in the States. So I didn't mind them. I knew what to pick out. Uh, so I, I knew what to load up in, in my, uh, my 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 uh, trouser pockets and uh, what to trade for for better things on the fire bases. And oh, you'd get things like the uh, those uh, those packages that would come in huge box of cigarettes and candy and, and writing paper, and shoelaces and shoe powder, shoe, shoe polish, whatever. All kind of stuff would come in. So I was a real heavy smoker over there, and and. But cigarettes were, were a common tradable item, and yeah, you would trade them to the Vietnamese, and uh, you would get things in return. But um, that's just the way this just the way it was.
1: So after living on those cigarettes, did you uh, when you got back home, did you have like a, a meal that you 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 had to go get?
2: Uh, well, I remember the meal we we had when we came back. I knew. The steak I couldn't chew the steak because I hadn't hadn't eaten uh, that kind of solid food for a long time and uh, I think I got I got sick on that first meal Um, but yeah things that I missed oh things silly things perhaps like raisin bread Uh, Mm -hmm. I really like raisin bread Um, grapefruit juice didn't get I had that in, in Germany and the states but didn't have that over there, so I, I really liked that. I had hepatitis over there, so I couldn't drink beer anymore. I beered up in, in Germany and in the States, but caught Hep over there, and so I couldn't drink for a long time. Even at my wedding, I couldn't, I couldn't drink. Um, what else? So, I caught fever of unknown origin. I thought it was malaria, but uh, they, they never really said it was that and that came back once a year every year for a wow. long time for a long time so it, it stopped happening wrong. not not that long ago but every fall i would get it so you bring back some things you know some did, things did work, they let you name it? If, it if it was <laughs> unknown
1: did you of get the name the fever yeah.
2: fever f u o fever of unknown or unknown origin
1: i when i worked at customs i got something I was sick for a month running mm. a hundred 200, 103 degree fever. My neck was swollen. They, I think I had 14, 15 blood draws. They tested for mumps, cat, everything. Couldn't Patient find a month. Yeah. And they said, you know, have you gone anywhere like tropical? Like, no. And then have you been around anyone? I'm like only like 10 hours a day, every day for the last, <laughs> um, and said, well, you got something that we've never, ever seen before. And so I said, Oh, do, do I get to name it? Like, and they said that you don't want a disease named after yourself. And I said, well, Hey, let's, let's talk about that. But B, why do you think I'm going to name it after myself? I got a whole list. <laughs> <laughs> Case so, of the Dave. Yeah. Yeah. I got the Dave.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, um, but, you know, talking, uh, you, you, we were actually just talking earlier about how you, you called it the, the blue cloud and how you, you, you did overcome your, your PTSD, um, we always like to ask if you have any advice for maybe it's other Vietnam veterans who haven't talked. You know, There's still plenty of Vietnam veterans who have not talked at all, even all these 50-some years later or maybe it's a, a newer, uh, a modern day veteran coming back from the Middle East. Any advice you have as someone who's gone through this, successfully gone through? I mean, it's, it's a relative term for everyone, so um, mm-hmm. I, I don't want you to be uncomfortable for me putting that word on there, but you know, who's gone through this and, and, and found a modicum of success with this? Do, do you have advice for other veterans who may be facing this? Yes,
2: I, I would say to just talk about it, talk. Um, for me, it, it was it was a long time in coming. I attended uh, two different PTSD groups at uh, VA hospital. And unfortunately, in the first group, uh, I was the sole survivor. Each person either was in, incarcerated or, or something happened, either they committed suicide or they succumbed to drugs or whatever. Uh, so that first group just wasn't there. I was the last guy standing. So the, uh, the person started another one and we would talk and it, it really didn't, they were, they were mostly boastful about just what they would do on a search and destroy mission or boastful about the unit. I remember one young man had an immense tattoo placed on his arm and then we found out he had to have his arm amputated. It was too big a tattoo, but talk about it. T- talk to other vets talk about what's bothering you talk because there was a specific incident that that I knew was at the root of what was bothering me and and I finally uh, sat down with a a friend of my wife's another social worker after talking to other counselors and, and priests and doctors and whatever and this person said sorry so he said, so, "Wow." So he said, "So someday you'll see him again." Sorry. Um. Anyway, talk about it. Just have to. Just have to talk about it. Talk about it with, with, with others who have been there or other, other vets. I don't know how to relate to, to an Afghan vet uh, or, or Iraq war vet, but um, if, if there are certain common things that happen, you know, being under a mortar barrage or a rocket attack or um, incoming rounds on, on the perimeter, just... Uh, Talk about it. Talk about how you feel. Talk, darn what, right? You were probably afraid, and you probably didn't want to admit to somebody you were afraid. You're never gonna uh, say, "Hey, you know, get me out of here." I'm, you know, I'm done. I'm tired of this. But yeah, you 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 should probably talk about it.
0: Sorry.
1: Well, I mean, that's we we talked about that with um, Dr. Roy Clymer, who used to be head of specialized care at Walter Reed. He's a Vietnam vet, but we talked to him for the. For the movie, and we're, you know, like you're talking. There's not a lot of direct crossover between the jungles of Vietnam and the highland mountains of Afghanistan or the desert of Iraq, in terms of just straight across the board experience. But you know, when I was talking with Dr. Clymer, where some, I was talking about how I had gotten into it with the supervisor at Customs, like he'd really pissed me off Um, and I finally said well last time I checked this is your job like maybe you should be the one fixing it." I mean much longer story and and I was asked to go finish my paperwork after that but he said yeah see you weren't in the army and I wasn't in customs but I'm sure we can find a lot of commonalities talking about government supervisors who really pissed us off or government waste. Like there's a lot of commonality that we can find. And there's a lot of commonality for a veteran from Vietnam and a veteran from Afghanistan. Is it about hand-to-hand combat in the jungle? No, not across the board, but there's, you know, like you're talking about an artillery barrage or your friend didn't come back. Like there's a lot of commonality of experience of feelings of emotions that veterans across the board across the service across conflicts can definitely talk about and and as a non-veteran like i said i can definitely commiserate with chain of command issues and you know there are commonalities that can be found
2: yeah definitely i i think one issue that that they can that we might have in common is is uh, you feel a sense of you want to blame somebody when one of your buddies doesn't come back uh, there's there's probably that as a common feeling that that might be uh, something for them to talk about you know who do you blame and is it really their their fault uh, that your buddy didn't come back or if your buddy made a mistake uh, didn't listen to one of the old timers and, and uh, stepped in the wrong place or, or didn't you know we would take two steps and look around take two steps and look around you you didn't just go walking on a trail uh, I, I took a long time to get rid of that boy i'll tell you we would go go out for a walk in the in the forest reserve or whatever in the early days and, and it would return as soon as i get into the trees it would it would return but you have to talk talk about just what's what's bothering you and it, it might just be one thing or it might be a, a lot of things But I, I think it's good to talk about the good times, talk about the bad times. You could start by talking about the, the sea rats or whatever they, they eat over there or talk about the uniform. And all. My goodness, all the stuff they wear nowadays, you know, we didn't have a 10th of, of that. You know, you, you're worried about taking 10 mags and uh, uh, your boots and, a, and, a, and a, either a, a boonie cap or a helmet. And that was, and you didn't care about a flak vest. You didn't care about you know, one canteen. That was That was enough for me. You, you you had common things that you could talk about
0: yeah exactly dustin you had something there no i was just agreeing with jack you know there's the 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 experience is the same even if the locations are different you know
2: yeah. sure life life is short enjoy it when you can that's it it sure is
1: Exactly. I mean, we, uh, Dustin and I have both been through that. I mean, I I wasn't going to say anything, Dustin, but no. <laughs> um, part of the reason we've had a break is Dustin actually did just lose his mother. Um, oh, sorry, and that's you're... why I was was down in New Mexico. But the reason I bring it up is the commonality. Both Dustin and I had dinner, at my I with my dad and Dustin with his mom the night before. And everything was fine and we're making plans. And then the next day, uh, a a heart incident in the the kitchen. Uh, It's Mm. actually shocking um, the the commonality between our our two parents like that. But it did. uh, I've, I've had more time. It's been many more years for me. But that was part of my impetus for leaving the government is, you know, here I am. I had dinner with my dad. We're talking about the upcoming Seahawks season uh everything else and then he was gone the next day but hmm. gone and i looked around and i thought you know my dad was ceo of the family business and and this great legacy and i was a gs13 uh, you know step 2 i was supervisor had my own office ran my own teams and i kind of looked around and thought you know if i get hit by a bus tomorrow people will say that's sad and they're going to promote someone to take my place and that government cog is gonna keep mm-hmm. on moving, and, and that right. didn't sit well with me. And uh, yeah, it's like this is not. I, I adored my coworkers. I miss my coworkers. I don't miss the government, um, but I just wanted. It's like this isn't this isn't what I've set up for. And you never know how long life is. So go out and right. do the things you want to do, and go for it. Right. That's right. And, and here we are. <laughs> So I called up Dustin and I said, "Hey, this movie thing—like, are we doing it or not?" So, and uh, we started screenwriting. And now we have a podcast. They're all, uh, all very linear. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm.
1: <It's> working out. <laughs> so, but uh, thank you so much for joining us today, Jack. Um, wonderful conversation. Um, that's, you know, we talked before we came on of of how we have you know, a theme that we like to cover, but we just kind of let the conversation go. And even though we have a a theme that we like to go for the podcast, everyone is different. And it's always so fun to just learn all these new stories. And and, and it's never the same. And I think that's what's so great. And that's why I love doing this. So thank you so much for joining us.
2: Well, thank you for having me, Dave. I appreciate it very much. Dustin, nice to meet you.
1: Uh and and to our audience thank you so much for for being with us um for for yet another episode of the know their story podcast um you know if you enjoy what we're doing give us a follow a like rating tell your friends enemies uh, whoever will listen um but anywhere you can get your podcasts and again jack's book is potato people uh as we mentioned you can find it on amazon we'll put a link uh, as well for oh, where I'll, you can yeah, we'll
0: put a link to jack where jack sell them so you can get them out of your garage yeah
2: <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm not kidding i'd probably have almost 100 copies i i, I picked up uh, on, a, on a deal but uh, yeah don't do not pay full price uh, by, uh go find it on amazon find it on ebay or whatever uh, i i even have uh a link to an electronic uh, version that you could get for
1: free. So, uh, all right, we'll work something out. We'll, we'll put those links in there. Uh, Dustin, got you jokes that I can cut off? Oh, uh, man. Go ahead and stay uh, with us here, Jack. I'm just going to cut off the recording feed, but we'll talk a little more. Uh, on let's see.
0: Uh, one, one oyster and another oyster walk into a bar, and the bartender uh, turns to them and says, You've been listening to the Know Their Story podcast. If you made it this far, we must be doing something right. Let us know by subscribing to our channel. And think about sitting
1: down with the veterans in your life. Because saying thank you for your service should be the
0: beginning of the conversation, not the end.